One, two, three. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Welcome. <laughs> Should we try that again? Welcome to Good. <laughs> Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch. Bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Welcome. This is a podcast that we put out once a week with motorcycles in the background mm-hmm. where we talk about women. Yeah. I'm Deanna. My, I'm here with my always co-host, Hannah Ferguson. Yep. Who is contributing so much right now. <laughs> yeah, you've got it covered. I, you're doing so well. It doesn't seem pertinent to, you know, intervene. It is summer in New York. Let's go. Um, summer in New York. Yeah, block parties on either side of our block happening right now. Yep. Uh, lots of barbecuing and bouncy houses. I mean, they look fun. But, yeah. you know, when you're trying to record an audio thing, sometimes it's a little... It's a little, yeah. It's a little In much. the way, Mercury is retrograde, so... Let's do this. Is um, Mercury still going to be retrograde when this comes out? Let's see. I think it stops. No. It's I think long. it is. Mercury retrograde 2019. Mm. Yeah, Mercury goes direct on July 31st. Okay. So it's we got a while. All right, fellas. It's like the entire month of July. So Fuck. watch watch your communication and uh, don't make any major plans. And uh, what else? What else do you got to remember during Mercury retrograde? Uh, be careful with your short distance travel, but it's very good for long distance travel. Okay. Which yeah. is why I'm excited for my trip. You're going to read me something. I wanted to read you a totally, uh, uh, um, silly, silly, non sequitur, sort of unrelated thing. And we'll see how offended or sensitive I get. <laughs> <laughs> it's an article, uh, or I guess it's like a, a listicle really. Yeah. Entitled, I'm laughing at things these non-Americans say Americans love saying oh boy so we'll see oh boy one why do americans love to say period at the end of arguments like it's a (laughs) mic drop because we're fucking dense yeah we need it you need to be like period we need to punctuate our arguments two americans love to say wait what and make you start your story again instead of apologizing for not listening and simply keeping quiet. Wow, that's very bad. Okay, also passive aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I'm, Wait, what did you say? not all American. Wait, what? 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 What were you saying? Sorry, I wasn't listening. Uh, wait, what? Three, Americans love to say veggies instead of vegetables. <laughs> and now you must also live with this cursed knowledge. <laughs> Which is funny because you were talking earlier about the veggies you had in your fridge. Oh, no. Um, four. Americans love to say, you're good. That's true. Mm. Americans love to say, here's the thing. That is accurate. Yeah. Americans love to say like. That's an easy one. Yeah. Uh, Americans love to say we're pregnant when only one of them is pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing about that, but I feel like that's probably true. Americans love to say excuse me when someone's in the way and it's so passive aggressive. We talked about this one earlier because I was like, well, what else are you supposed to say? And then we recognized it must just be the tone. If it's like, excuse me. Yeah. It must be that. Because people. Because what else are you supposed to say when people are in the way? You say, excuse me. Yep. But Americans 
definitely a lot of them well, will we're say impatient. that with a tone. New Yorkers. Yeah. I've said it. Oh, yeah. Or if someone like is rude and kind of shoves you out of the way and you go, oh, excuse me. Right. Like as an admonishment. Yes. Like you should have said excuse me and then maybe I would have uh, moved. All right. I love it. Americans, We've just proven their point. Yeah. Americans yeah. love to say, I'm going to do the instead of just ordering food like a regular person. What? I'm going to oh, do I'm going to do the cheese. I'm going to do the steak. Yeah. I'm going to do the. OK. All right. I get that. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for some reason, Americans love to say, yep, as a response. Thank you. Yep. Take care. Yep. Sorry. Yep. Y'all need to broaden your language and personal skills. <laughs> Somebody's mad. Oh man. Eleven. I think it's just you can shit all over Americans because we we have like the reputation of being the the most prideful yep. of countries. Yep. Uh, which is there you go. You just did it. <laughs> I know. I was on purpose. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, Americans love to say that's my property. <clears throat> no, I feel like the the it would be get off my property. <laughs> <laughs> While cocking a fucking shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. Americans love to say a movie is fun. I don't see why that's bad. Wait, what? <laughs> what a fun movie. I just did one of them. Oops. Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> but that's confusion, not because you weren't listening. I think that's the bitterness there. I know. That's some passive-aggressive that like, bullshit. Yeah. Americans love to say that things are addicting. That's true. Okay, yeah. Americans love to say for sure. <laughs> Maybe in the 90s. <laughs> No. For sure? Yeah, for sure. I say okay. it. Okay. All right. Americans love to say super this, super that, super, super, super. Super, super, super. Super. Super, super, super. <laughs> the biggest difference between Americans and Canadians is Americans love to say happy whatever day of the week it is all the time. Happy Monday. <laughs> I do say that. How else are we supposed happy to Thursday. get through it? <laughs> Americans love to say LMAO. Uh, out loud? Mm, I don't know. I do love to type it, except for I always like read it like mouth. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. Americans like, love to say holy shit. Well, <laughs> accurate, accurate. To express disbelief, Americans love to say that's crazy or that's insane. You might also hear that's ridiculous. All are casual. <laughs> I definitely said all of those many times in our last episode. Uh-huh. But it, we, you weren't being casual. No. But Where it's like, oh, my God, today traffic was blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's insane. It's true. I think that's what they're saying. It's Americans true. love saying it's a free country. Well, Some I would Americans. say that's like a middle-aged American. It's a very specific kind of American. Yeah. America's a big country. There's a, there's a belt. Of people. I, there was one tweet where a person was like complaining that they they didn't think Americans realized how big London was, and it was like your whole country can fit in one of our states. <laughs> so yeah, I think we know. Uh, why do Americans think love? Sa oh oh this mm, uh oh this one is one that really drives me fucking insane. Uh oh. Why do Americans love saying that they're Irish when, one, the only link they have to Ireland is that their great-great-great-grandfather was born in County Cork, and two, they've never been to the country in their life? Because America is a melting pot country full of immigrants, you fucking idiot! Also, where do you think they went when they weren't allowed to be where they fucking were? 
No, like that thing, it drives me crazy how it's it, like when I say that I'm German, yeah. it means I am of German heritage. Uh, I don't. And, and like, but that's Megan got yelled at once. Megan uh, in Colorado because she is Mexican and Irish and she was in a group that was like, fuck, yeah, I'm Irish. And they were like, why are there so many Americans in here? Like Europeans don't understand. They're like, you're not. They think you're saying your nationality. You're not saying your nationality. You're talking about your heritage because unless you're a fucking Native American, this country of us. is full of immigrants yeah. or people forced to come here. Jesus Christ. From a different place. So, and, and people love identifying statements. We love to seek identity. So... We people feel very proud. And and that's definitely where it starts. Like in New York, Italian immigrants were shat all over. Irish immigrants were shat all over. So they were very like, OK, this is my identity because this is where I came from. And then their children got that. And it's like, you should be proud to be Irish or you should be proud to be Italian. Mm-hmm. And but then, you know, like seven generations later and they're still proud to be Italian even though they're so far removed from from Italy. Yeah. But they're still Italian. Anyway, that's see, there I go being sensitive. And but I just that's what I want to argue. And and actually, my coworker and I have talked about this. She's like, yeah, I don't get that. And I'm like, but you're all but what? Whatever. She's European. Americans love saying you guys. <laughs> um. Americans love saying, have a good one. A good what? What am I having that's good? <laughs> Whatever you want. That's the Day, beauty week, of America. Month, life, year. It's the American dream. Americans love saying, on God. I've never heard an American say that. On God? Yeah. On God? On God. I don't under. What's the context? I would. I think that the more uh, common thing that Americans say is, I swear to God. Yes. Um, Americans love saying literally. That's true. Uh huh. That's true. Americans love saying across the pond. What? Well, we? sometimes. Okay. Americans love saying I know, right? That's true. <laughs> but these are so innocuous. I mean, these are just like. Oh. It's weird the things that stick out to. I I love those types of BuzzFeed listicles where uh, there was one that this guy was like. I'm an American living in the UK and these are the things I find weird about UK supermarkets and some of them are great, but you know, foreign to me cause I'm not used to them. And some of them I'm just like, why in the fuck? And I just love stuff like that where it it's so like interesting getting a perspective on Americans from people who aren't American, except for sometimes I wonder truly how many Americans these people have interacted with. Some people get it spot on. And then some people I'm like, you just saw one group of Americans one time in a bar in your country. Or you watched a bunch of American TV. Maybe. I don't know. Reality television. I mean, they like, they like American reality TV. Yeah. They watch The Bachelor. I'm sure of it. I uh, don't who, really know. Who, who, who are you going to tell me about this week? Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm going to tell you about some really cool people. So it is plural. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? 
Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively oh, yeah. for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. So. All right. Let's talk about people. Plural. People plural. I'm going to do something that I have never done. Oh. And I'm going to do more than one person, more than two people, more than three people. Oh, three is my the most. That's you, because you did the Mariposa sisters. Uh-huh. More than four, more than five. What in the fuck are you doing? I'm doing six people today. Six people I had never, ever heard of before. And honestly, and I think you liked my tweet about this, but researching them made me honestly angry like just i'm just angry that we have never heard of these people Uh um even i i looked up an article on smithsonian mag about this thing and um it didn't this article didn't mention these women at all which was shocking to me and really just upsetting so um i got most of my information from digitaltrends.com history.com um, I don't know how you really pronounce this, but witty.com, W-I-T-I, which is Women in Technology International. Oh. And uh, Wikipedia. Maybe it's just W-I-T-I. Yeah, I don't know if they have like a cute way of saying it or not. So, Wee. W-I-T-I. Uh, and I, I took... I took a lot of the framework of the history.com article because they delved into some good history outside of these women but their headline which i thought was super interesting is computer programming used to be a quote pink ghetto so it was underpaid and undervalued and that is where we begin our story well it's like astronomers exactly like astronomers in fact as i was researching these women uh articles about pickering's harem which we talked about in our Wilhelmina Fleming episode. Yep. Um, also came up quite a bit. So it's it's a very similar situation. So today I'm going to talk about the ENIAC or E-N-I-A-C programmers. Okie dokie. Let's do it. All right. So um, someone named Kathy Kleiman did a lot of research on these women. She has a documentary. She started the ENIAC Programmers Project. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's got a a lot of these articles cited her information and her research. Okay. So there might be times when I say, like, Kathy Kleiman said, blah, blah, blah. And that's where she's from. And that's who she is. Sweet. Um, So she came across a bunch of black and white photos when she was at Harvard of some women working on this gigantic room-filling machine in the from the 40s and a computer a computer 
And the black and white photos showed smartly dressed women deftly configuring wires on an enormous machine, the first general purpose, all electronic digital computer. In uh, the 40s? In the 40s. I knew that. Yeah. I knew that. The but first still, one. It's weird. The first one, the only one. Yeah. So she, Kathy Kleiman, was a computer programmer and historian, and she came across these photos, and it was clear to her that the young women, it was clear to her that the young women knew what they were doing. She says, I had been told that they were models. And of course, as we come to learn, they were not. Whoa. Those women, Kleiman discovered, were the first, first, absolute first, modern computer coders. These women were the first people, period, to code a computer in the world. Whoa. Not men, not anyone else, this group of six women. Whoa. Um, yeah. So this was the name, computers, uh, given by the army to a group of over 80 women working at the University of Pennsylvania during World War II. Because they were computing. Because they were computing. They were calculating ballistics trajectories, i.e. complex differential equations, by hand. <laughs> this meant determining the angle that soldiers should fire at based on how far away the target was, what the weather conditions were that day, other factors, like all this stuff, all this crazy stuff. But this took a long time. It was a pain in the ass. And the equations were usually top secret, and so the potential for having fewer eyes on them was a good thing. So um, these two men, whose names are later in this, uh, uh, in my notes, but I can't remember them off the top of my head, but these two men created this computer, right? Like they, yeah, they yeah. designed this, this giant room filling uh, digital computing machine. Yeah, it's interesting that that they had to um, differentiate at the time. Because if we just say computer now, there's really only one meaning. Yep. But back then, there were computers, yep. which were human people who computed things. <laughs> yep. And then they made a digital computer, yep. which was a machine. Exactly. To, to do the work that these women, because it, it was almost always women, um, were doing. To do it faster and to have fewer eyes on these equations. Mm. Uh, so when the army agreed to fund an experimental project, the first all-electronic digital computer, yep. six, quote-unquote, computers were selected in 1945 to be its first programmers. The team included Jean Jennings Bartik, who would later lead the development of computer storage and memory, which is what my dad's job at IBM related to. Oh. He was, like, he was an engineer for a while and then later... On when I got older, he transferred into an area where he was basically selling storage, data wow. storage. Oh, that's massive like amounts such a of huge data storage. Thing. Yeah, it's huge, especially. So Gene Jennings Bartik is the reason he was able to do that in his job. What? Um, Francis Elizabeth Betty Holberton, who would go on to create the first software application. Um, and together with Francis Bylas Spence, Marilyn Westkoff Meltzer, Kathleen slash K, because they sometimes call her K in these articles. K-A-Y. K-A-Y. Mm -hmm. Kathleen K. McNulty, Moshley, Antonelli. Whew. That's a name. It's a name. And Ruth Lichterman Teitelbaum. They all have like such crazy names. Um, together, all six women laid the groundwork for future programmers and software engineers. 
So the two men who had designed the computer, called the ENIAC, or E-N-I-A-C, which stood for Electronic Numerical uh, Integrator and Computer, had been well-known scientists, these men, since 1946. Yet for decades, computer historians had no idea who the women in these photos were. So they knew the scientists, the, these two men, but they did not know who the women in these, in these photos were. And they simply Kay. assumed that they had nothing to do with this machine. As they told Kathy right, Kleiman. that would be the assumption that you would make. Yeah. Like they told Kathy Kleiman, they were models. They were just modeling for a photo to make it clear how important this machine was. That's weird. So That would be weird. Yeah. And by the time the six female programmers finally received public recognition, most were in their 70s. So I watched an interview with Kay, with Kathleen, from, I think it was 1977, where she talks about, to the interviewer, all of the things that she that she did, that she worked on, hmm. um, on this machine. And she actually married one of the scientists, John Moshley, who th- this documentary that she was being interviewed for was about him. But she had a small portion of the interview. And I think the interviewers realized as she was talking what her contribution was, but it really wasn't known before that. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's because so nobody asked them. Mm-hmm. They simply assumed they had no part. And so they were never asked. God. So in the beginning, the women were not even allowed into the ENIAC room because they didn't have the security clearance. So they had to get security clearance. Okay. And meanwhile, they were expected to code the machine using only paper diagrams of it. The diagrams didn't come with any instructions because nobody really knew how this machine was going to work. So they had to figure it out themselves without any programming language or manuals. Right. Because none existed. (laughs) Yeah. Everything that came after was created by these women. What the fuck? I know. By the time they were allowed into the room, they were alternating 10-hour shifts in there so that the... (laughs) Yeah. So the computer was being programmed around the clock. So they would switch off and one person would work, you know, eight to six and the other person would work six to whatever time in the morning. And that was that was that. And, you know, that's not to say that the men who invented the machine just handed off their work like they were there. You know, Kay described them in her in her interview in this documentary as like the mother hens. So the male scientists were the uh-huh. mother hens. That's they were cute. the mother hens. They were looking after their their, their machine. <laughs> they really were very invested. Like so they didn't just make this machine and then leave, but they were much more invested in the hardware. Like they they were much more invested in in the actual hardware of the machine and the women were expected to just kind of like go in there and figure out what was happening inside. Mm. So the actual programming was pioneered pretty much by these women who were going in there and, and <laughs> using this machine for the very first time in history. Whoa. So while the male inventors of the ENIAC received awards and publicity, the women received no recognition for their contributions. Um, on the ENIAC's public debut on f- uh, February 14, 1946, Moshley and Eckert, the other scientist, were introduced to the press as the ENIAC's designers. The women were never introduced, and they weren't invited to the army dinner celebrating the debut either. 
That's insane. When they're pictures. I mean, it's true that the those dudes were the designers, but they were the coders, which that's how it works. We have coding today because someone figured out how to code that fucking machine. And you know what's crazy is that there are specifically coding classes for girls because it's such a male-dominated field now that I know. they're trying to get more women into the field. I know. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that, too, because it's a lot like beer. You remember when we talked about the yeah. beer industry yeah, beer back in? Yeah, beer was created by women and, and primarily <laughs> brewed by women yeah. for so long. And men saw how lucrative it was and went, I think that's really a male profession, don't you? And it's still, even to this day, mm-hmm. it's so funny how, and I think it's changing with our generation, but like being a beer drinker and a beer aficionado is seen as a male thing. Uh-huh. Yep. Men drink beer, women drink girly drinks, quote unquote. Yeah, it really made me <laughs> mad because I went on a, a bachelor. sorry, quick tangent, <laughs> went on a bachelorette party that was a winery tour, which is fucking great. But then they talk about how bachelorette parties are the winery tours and the bachelor parties are brewery and distillery tours. And I'm like, how in the fuck are we gendering that? I know lots of men that like wine. That's the thing is that especially at higher levels, because of fucking course, wine is a male dominated field. And a lot of sommeliers are men. Oh, yeah. So why is wine a girly drink? Yep. If being a wine expert is primarily dominated by dude. It's like it. <gasps> it's like the restaurant industry. I Exa- mean, that's what I was saying yeah. too. Is like professional chefs are. It's a male-dominated place, mm-hmm. but cooking is seen as woman's work. Mm-hmm. Once you start getting paid for it, men are the ones who are supposed to do it, right? Yeah. And apparently, coding is the same. Yep. So yeah. So at this press conference, the women were never introduced. They were never invited to the dinner. When their pictures appeared in the press. The captions didn't even mention their names or their roles. God, I feel like that just would not fly today. You would hope, but we have, I don't fucking know. I just don't even know anymore, but I hope not. I hope not. Well, just based on my experience with planetary scientists and stuff, the, the, I think people all the are, women yeah. who work on the stuff that I have experience with have very a lot of credit given think, to them. Yeah, more people want women in STEM. Yeah. Again. <laughs> you know. Yeah, once again. Once again. Yeah, because because they were women, it was assumed that their contributions... They were just helpers. They were just like secretaries or whatever, yeah. Like holding this mm-hmm. holding this wire here while the man came in and did the hard work. Um, so they, they finished this coding. They obviously, they debuted it. It was a huge success. Uh, and when the computer was ultimately moved, they hired some of the women to follow the computer to the new location... To make sure it was wired right? To make sure that they could teach the men who were going to be using the machine how to fucking use the machine. Oh, my God. Because no one else had ever used a computer except the women. I'm going to bang my head on the table. <laughs> now You're you, right. You, now you see why I was like, oh, my God, I'm so fucking mad. I mean, it, it's nice. like they. Can, but I feel like I've been lied to. Yes, exactly. And you By have omission. Been. You have been lied to. You absolutely have I been. never would have guessed this. No. And even half the articles I found when I searched ENIAC didn't mention them. Like, Kathy Kleiman did her work, and we are still waiting for that work to permeate. I want to find a thing real quick. Okay. It's just a, a phrase that you reminded me of. Oh. Um, that I feel like Benji would really love. 
It says, the female being has been chosen by the creator to be the portal between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. The only force on earth powerful enough to navigate unborn spirits into this world. So tell me, why do we not treat her as such? Who said this? It was just a quote on someone's, they put it as their profile picture. Oh. Oh, wow. I mean, for real. Whereas, like, Christianity turned it and made it into a burden. How else do you subjugate somebody? It's because we original sin is women's fault. Mm-hmm. And now we have to risk child-bearing uh, death and all that. Where instead of being like, this is a sacred thing, like, holy shit. So, yes. Yeah, so after the computer was moved, the women moved with it. They taught other men there how to code. For the first time ever. Uh-huh. And, you know, and thankfully they continued, these women continued to be employed and make advances in other areas of the field because computing and programming for a long time was still seen as a woman's job. It's so weird. So it was originally seen as a feminine job, as a, as a woman's place, because the work was in, in the society's eyes, it was like, secretarial work well it's grunt work as opposed to like big Uh picture idea genius sort of like broad like these are my ideas now you enact them Mm -hmm. that's a man's work in the time yep and the actual like grunt work that goes into it yep and that factored in a lot when we talked about wilhelmina fleming Mm -hmm. um which i will link to that episode in our show notes it's a good episode it is a good episode i mean and it's again it's harvard Uh, kathy Kleiman went to harvard i i think I'm not, not making that up. Um, <laughs> I hope I'm not making that up. And she was at this school where she was like, where are my female role, mo- role models in STEM? And they exist. We just don't fucking talk about them. So in 1947, the ENIAC was turned into a, quote, stored program computer, um, which was the world's first. And I think um, I think it talks a little bit about what that means later on, because I'm not entirely sure that I understand it, but I think it just means... It's, well, yeah, I'll go into it. Okay. Uh, and these six programmers were the only generation of programmers to program the ENIAC at a machine level, like on the machine itself. Oh. All six women contributed to the programming of the ENIAC. Many of these pioneer programmers went on to develop innovative tools for software engineers and to teach others early programming techniques. So I just want to talk a little bit, even though it's going to be a lot of uh, STEM jargon, just because it's fucking important that we know what these women did. Um, But I'm going to go into each of them for a second and just talk about what they did. So Marilyn Meltzer and Ruth Teitelbaum were a special team of ENIAC programmers as computers, quote unquote, for the Army. They calculated ballistics trajectory equations painstakingly using desktop calculators, an analog technology of the time, obviously. Uh, chosen to be ENIAC programmers, they taught themselves and others certain functions of the ENIAC and helped pre- prepare the ballistics program. After the war, Ruth relocated with the ENIAC to Aberdeen, Maryland, where she taught the next generation of ENIAC programmers how to use the n- unique new computing tool. Hmm. Oh my God, I feel like I'm stumbling over all those words. It's There's a lot, a lot of tech words. A lot of tech words. Whew. You're doing um, great. Thank you. Francis Spence and Kathleen Antonelli, or Kay Antonelli, who married one of the scientists, were a second ENIAC team. Both were mathematics majors in the class of 1942 of Chestnut Chestnut Hill College in Philadelphia. Oh, Uh, they both went to the same college? Yes. 
and they responded to the army's call for mathematicians and they were assigned to operate the differential analyzer whoa a huge (laughs) a huge analog machine of which there were only a few in the world uh, Fran and Kay led the teams of women who used this machine to calculate the ballistics equations. After the war, both Fran and Kay continued with the ENIAC to program equations for some of the world's foremost mathematicians. Kay married Dr. John Moshley, who, together with J. Presper Eckert, invented the ENIAC and UNIVAC computers, which I don't really know, but that's kind of the next wave that these women worked with, the okay. UNIVAC. Uh-huh. Um, and Kay worked with John one of the scientists, on program designs and techniques for many years. The third ENIAC programming team was comprised of Jean Bartik and Betty Holberton. As ENIAC programmers, they took on the challenging task of learning the master programmer that directed the performance of all program sequences of the ENIAC. They led... Wait, say that again? <laughs> sorry. As ENIAC programmers, they took on the challenging task of learning the master programmer that directed the performance of all program sequences of the ENIAC. Still not sure I know what that means, but it, it sounds impressive. It basically means that they had to figure out how the master programmer, which was the thing that basically it it told all of the various programs that the computer ran, yeah, how to do it. It basically Great. was like thank you for yeah. that layman's it was this it was the it was the thing at the top that basically said here's how you do this here's how you do this here's how you do this to digital. the rest of the computer yeah okay. yeah got it Whew. okay they led the entire group in programming the ballistics trajectory for the demonstration on february 14th that valentine's was the, day it was valentine's day but that was only the beginning of their work after the war, Jean Bartik worked on the team that converted the ENIAC into a stored program machine. So here we go. Making it easier and faster to program larger and more sophisticated problems. Yes. Jean then programmed the BINAC, designed logic for UNIVAC 1. Again, so much of this is over my head. However, I think it's important to just say the words. Um, <laughs> she, you know? Yes. She designed an electrostatic memory backup system for UNIVAC 1, and later developed reports to help businesses understand a powerful new class of computers, the microcomputer. So she worked tirelessly. Her life's work was about making computers easier to use. Like, dang, she pioneered a lot of shit that was just, it was all just to make computers more available and easier to use for everybody. Which is very significant to today. It's huge. So after programming the ENIAC, Betty Holberton joined the company founded by Eckert and Moshley and worked on the first commercial computers. She wrote the C10 instruction code for UNIVAC 1, which I think was the thing that came after ENIAC, forever making programming easier and faster for for programmers. So she wrote the instruction code that, to this day, makes programming easier easier and faster. She wrote it. She created it. Wow. She designed the control console for UNIVAC 1 and its computer keyboards and numeric keypad. And in 1952, she designed the first sort merge generator. Okay. She served on the COBOL committee, committee to design the first business language 
to operate across computer platforms. She wrote the standards for Fortran, another computer system, and served on national and international computer standards committees for decades. So I know that's a lot. That was a lot of just like computer blah, blah, blah. But yeah, but the point is, is that these women, it's not like they just did this and then left. retired and became housewives. Right. They, there were they, so they many were firsts. innovators in their field for decades. I mean, they, the, the number of firsts that these women did, that these women have on their resume, first coding, you know, for, for UNIVAC 1, which is what we use, it, it's the basis of what we use now, mm. was created by one of these women. You know, business standards that we use today, commercial computers that we use today, things like all these things that we use today were pioneered by these six women. Jesus Christ. So, yeah, so they paved the way for programming and coding as we know it, especially in the years after the war, when new women began to enter the field. Um, a researcher named, I'm going to pronounce his name, Abate, Abate, uh-huh. says, after the war, there was such a boom in computing uh, that there were more jobs than there were qualified people to fill them. And programming was still, at the time, conflated with low-level clerical work, like typing or filing. What the fuck? So even after the war, it was still seen as mostly a, quote, feminine job, and it was paid accordingly. I couldn't do it. No! And later on, I want to talk about this woman. I, I debated talking about her, but I kind of wanted to talk about the ENIAC women first. Okay. Um, but Grace Hopper was a programmer in the 60s who invented the first computer language compiler which is what transferred mathematical code into machine code, she also used gender stereotypes to try and get people to come and work for her. So, you mean like women? Yes. So in a Cosmo article... You mean like women? <laughs> yeah. What a, come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, she wrote a, an article called The Computer Girls, and she said that programming was just like planning dinner. She wrote... Programming requires patience and the ability to handle detail. Women are I mean, naturals. That's true. Yeah, women are naturals at computer programming, and that's what she wrote to try and get women to come in to the field and and help her program computers because men wouldn't do it. Wow. Well, also, I'm sure the pay was shitty because if it was seen as women's work or clerical work, then yes, absolutely. If we don't have to pay people that much to do it because it's women's work. You know, so there are multiple likely factors that contributed to programming's shift from a women friendly occupation to one that is now still hostile to women in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, In the 1950s and 60s, employers began relying on aptitude tests and personality profiles that weeded out women by prioritizing stereotypically masculine traits and increasingly antisocialness, antisocialness. Wait. It's basically like interviewing somebody and going, well, gosh, you're too emotional for this job. But you, you're stoic and you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. So you're perfect. You know what I mean? Sure. Like that's kind of what they started to prioritize as coding, you know, ideals. Okay. But because men were the stereotypical, not female traits. Yes. 
Which is, but it's because it seems like to me it's because men were the ones who started. Because once coding and programming started making money, men started being at the heads of these programs and they were the ones hiring. And so they were kind of like, you know, well, these are the things I value. Yep. So, um, yeah. So it's just like, it's a lot. And then apparently in the 1980s, um, there was the introduction of a home computer that was marketed as a quote, boys toy. Radio Shack ran ads showing that personal computers were great for nerdy white boys and sporty boys because they could use it to do homework and play video games. Yeah, because women don't have homework and women don't play video games. Yeah. A 1985 Apple ad showed how much a computer would help a boy named Brian Scott while also demonstrating what fun he could have teasing a girl who was trying and failing to use a computer. No. Yep. Even the women coded computers and were the first people to teach people how to use computers because they were the ones who knew how to fucking use it. Yep. Because they made it. Yep. Great. So like women are not newcomers to tech and definitely not to computing, coding or programming. If anything, I think personally that women are sort of responsible for initiating the computing, uh, the computer's boom that we have now thanks to Ada Lovelace who invented the first computer in 1852. I think it was 1852. Yeah, and Hedy Lamarr basically invented the technology that led to Wi-Fi. Yep. So, (laughs) um, in conclusion, you're welcome, tech bros. Women got here fucking first. Good God. And we didn't know it, but now we know it. The first coders and programmers were women. Done and done. I'm that mad. is. Can I flip this table? That's the ENIAC programmers. Wow. They're fucking amazing women, and you may not flip this table, but you may be mad because I am mad. <laughs> I know. I I had I, I had a reaction yesterday as I was reading that was like, oh my god, this is so amazing, and I need to talk about it. And also, I'm so angry, like. The fact that we have been lied to for so long that tech is a fucking, you know, boys club. We can take a we can take a breath. (laughs) I need to. But but (laughs) Carly Kloss has she's like very a huge proponent of, of that. She took she's a coder. Is she really? Supermodel Carly Kloss is a coder. She took and fuck she yes. like runs uh, those courses that encourage girls to code. Oh, fuck yeah. Which is really cool. So she's a, a mathematic brain and also a fucking supermodel. So Because you can be both if you want to. If you so chose. Carly Kloss shares why she learned to code. Oh, shit. It's, it's an article that she wrote for Teen Vogue. Do you want to read a little bit of it? Do sure. Time? Sure. Probably. Yeah. I've always been a math and science nerd. Ever since first grade, I had my heart set on becoming a doctor, scientist, or teacher. But after being discovered at my local mall over 10 years ago, my trajectory changed, and at the age of 15, I started a full-time career in fashion. People don't always associate fashion with tech, but the intersection of these two industries is where I found my groove. Every day, I see technology become more important to both the business and creativity of fashion. I'm fascinated by how code has transformed entire industries and powers so much of the technology we rely on today. Thank you, women. Mm -hmm. I wanted to understand more about how tools and apps were developed. (laughs) Enter my first coding class about three years ago. She wrote this in 2017. 
Um, I merely wanted to satiate my curiosity to understand simply what code was. I had no idea how much I would love learning this secret language or how it would inspire my commitment to making sure all girls can learn to code and be leaders in technology. I was lucky to join a class where I learned the fundamentals, fundamentals of Ruby and other programming languages through hands-on labs. My classmates and I built and tested apps and even programmed a drone to fly around the classroom. I was hooked. I quickly came to understand that code is a superpower every young woman should be able to access. Understanding that code is the underlying and invisible framework of tech means we don't have to be passive bystanders in our ever-changing digital world. Being able to write lines of code means we too can architect and contribute to the innovation and evolution of technology. We too. I think she needs to learn about these women yep. as if they weren't the, the creators of it. I also walked away from that first class with another lesson. There just aren't enough girls in coding and tech. Ugh. According to research by the Girl Scouts... Oh, Girl Scouts! Julia Gordon-Lowe. Oh, while 74% of high school girls are interested in STEM, women only earn 18% of all undergraduate computer science degrees. The numbers are even worse for girls and women of color. Out of the working world, African-American women make up just 3% of the tech workforce. Latinx women comprise only 1%. And when it's time to go big and start your own company... A staggering 90% of investor money worldwide goes to startups founded by men. As women, it's our time to change this. After experiencing the power of coding myself, I knew I had to do my part to help girls know they could pursue it too. I founded Code with Classy to empower girls to learn to code and become leaders in tech. In just three short years, we've grown from 21 scholarships in our first girls coding class to offering over 300 scholarships in the 15 free Code with Classy camps in 10 cities this summer. From Swift to Ruby to front-end design classes, girls from Detroit to New Orleans, Oakland to Austin, ages 13 to 18, will have the opportunity to learn code and start realizing that with a focus in these STEM skills can become the next Sheryl Sandberg, Melinda Gates, or Katherine Johnson. Today marks the opening of the 2017 Code with Classy applications. This summer, we'll welcome a new class of students to the program, a sisterhood of ambitious young women who know that knowledge is a superpower, and by learning to code, they can become the kind of superheroes who change the world. Every single one of these girls is incredible, like awesome Code with Classy alum and founder of Pretty Smart Magazine, Brana. She went from knowing nothing about code to building a web app at camp. And like so many of the Code with Classy grads, she didn't stop there. Brana rallied her community in rural Maine to increase computer science education opportunities, convincing her school to offer a coding class and start a scholarship to help other girls learn to code. Anyway, she like oh. goes on. And she wants to, like, transform the status quo. And and I just love that sh that she uses her money and her position For to good? encourage <laughs> girls in STEM. Ugh. You're all glassy-eyed over I there. I am. Well, I didn't tell you that this made me ball my eyes out yesterday. Yeah. As I was researching. Cause, because it was the... I was so mad. Like, there was, a, there was just this moment as I was reading that I just, I felt so angry. I felt so lied to, you know? We're lied to every day. Lied to by omission, yeah. Lied to by omission. Even, even those articles like the Smithsonian Mag article that I could not use because it attributed the success of this machine solely to the two scientists who built it. Who designed it. Who designed it, but did not code it and did not program it. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, That's crazy. Uh, you know, I, it just... I know that at some point they will have the consideration that Wilhelmina Fleming has, who does have... There's more articles about her. There's yep. more articles about the, the women who were alongside her discovering stars and various celestial bodies in the sky, in the night sky. But, like, we don't have that for the ENIAC programmers yet. Hmm. They're pretty that's newly why, discovered. That's why I love doing this podcast. And I don't mean that in a specifically, like, we're doing this good work to do blah. It, right. <laughs> I mean it just purely as simply as between the two of us. Mm-hmm. We are learning about people and talking. I talk to you about women yeah. that maybe you don't know about. Most of the time you don't. Yep. Most of the time I don't know anything about the women you talk about. Yep. And then we finish and I know more and I feel better. Yeah. Knowing it. Yeah. A year ago, a year and some change ago. Yeah. Year and a half. Fuck, dude. When we re- when we f- sat down for the first time and we talked about doing this, I had no idea. Like, I thought that I would learn about some cool people, but I had no idea that I would learn that the things I thought were true were, were just simply not true. You know what I mean? Or just learning this, the... the like to what scope how much you didn't like, yeah 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 didn't know is exactly like what what like, level of like shit. the fact that the first computer ever was programmed by women but we don't talk about those women the fact that coding as we know it was pioneered by women especially and because and now we have people having to give scholarships to make sure there are more women right. in the field because we've created this narrative around that that industry that says women never were here or it's not even that they say that it's just that we make assumptions because of how it is now and there's no well nobody tells us otherwise yeah anyway there's no mention of it yeah so it's like it is (laughs) i am glassy-eyed and i did get angry just because like coding came from women and that is a pretty fucking profound thing yeah. to feel like I have discovered and feel like I alone know. Well, not anymore. You know what I mean? Now yes, I know. Now you know, and now the thousands of people who listen to this podcast know, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Because someone has to. Yeah. Someone has to know about these people. Yeah. Anyway, I could go on, but it's that's me too. that's the ENIAC programmers, and bless them. <laughs> do you have on this day? You like put your phone I do. down? <laughs> you were done. I do have some on this day. There are some interesting ones today. Good, because there wasn't that many last week. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting day. It's July twenty fourth. Um, when did when does Mercury Mercury go? July thirty first. July. So we're still in retrograde. All right. Um, 1534, Jacques Cartier lands in Canada and claims it for France. Sweet. Which I thought was interesting because then France. Was he Acadian? I don't. Acadian? Yeah. What is that? 
Well, it's uh, the Acadians uh, were the French settlers in Canada. Who, a lot of them got driven out and they went to uh, New, Orleans. New Orleans. And that's the Acadien is how you say it in French. And uh, a lot of Americans heard the word Acadien. They're like, oh, Cajun? Cool. Right. So that's where the word Cajun comes from. I think he's Acadian. too early for that. But Maybe. 1534? I don't know. I think he's too early. But... Um, Canada's huge just to go I I claim this for France. I claim this for France. Oh, Europeans. (laughs) Well, I know. And then England came in and they were like, we don't agree with you. We're going to have, we're going to fight. We're going to fight over this for a bit. (laughs) Um, Classic British French tension. I know. I know. 1567, Mary Queen of Scots is forced to abdicate. Her one-year-old son becomes King James VI of Scots. Holy shit. There you go. <laughs> 1832, Benjamin Bonneville leads the first wagon train across the Rocky Mountains by Wyoming's South Pass. Which I only included because Rocky Mountains and because you and I are from the Rocky Mountains-ish. So, you yeah, know. we sure are. Uh, this is another weird one. 1847, Brigham Young and his Mormon followers arrive at Salt Lake City, Utah. It's so weird to think how new of a religion Mormonism is. <laughs> I know. It's so strange. It's so new. 1847. Uh-huh. And they were like, I claim Utah for our religion. This is the promised land. <laughs> and also, oh. the Garden of Eden was in Mississippi. <laughs> and also... America was colonized by ancient Jews before anyone else. What? Makes so much sense. It does. <sighs> if you just you just got to think about it a little bit and then you're there. Oh cool. All right. Uh 1866, Tennessee becomes the first Confederate state readmitted to the Union. Okay. That's where that's where my family was. Oh really? Yeah, when oh. I did my family tree, I had family in Tennessee that fought for the Confederacy. Oh, interesting. Mine was from Arkansas. Whoa. 1880, the first commercial hydroelectric power plant in the world begins generating electricity in Grand Rapids, Michigan. In 1880? 1880. Can you believe? That's the only reason I included it, because I was like, 1880 is so early. I was shocked. Grand Rapids, Hydro-electric? Michigan. Hydroelectric? Like, that's Hydroelectric. People really had electricity anywhere. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Um... You'll like this one. 1917, the trial of Dutch exotic dancer Matahari begins in Paris. She allegedly spied for Germany. Uh, she was a double agent, supposedly, for Germany and the Allies, uh, and thus caused the deaths of 50,000 soldiers. There's a bar in Savannah called the Matahari, and it's like a speakeasy they don't advertise, and you have to have like a membership to get in or go with a person who has a membership. Tip really. for anyone in Savannah. 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 It's real cool. 1967, the first modern hospice, St. Christopher's, is founded by Dr. Cicely Saunders in London, England, which begins our modern palliative care and the hospice movement. So wow. hospice was invented, I guess that's the right really word. recently. Really recently, and by a woman. Shocker. Um, 1969, Apollo 11 returns to Earth from the moon. There is a lot happening. I know. That's why I just was like, I'm just going to do it all. Uh, <laughs> 1974, the Supreme Court unanimously rules that Nixon must turn over the Watergate tapes. 
Oh, what a time. Poor Nixon. Um, this may or may not be of interest to you. 1985, French officers, uh, Secret Service officers, Dominique, pr- pr- no, Dominique something, and Elaine Maffer are arrested and charged with murder over the bombing of the Rainbow Warrior, which is a, which was a Greenpeace boat. Do you know anything about this? The Rainbow Warrior was a Greenpeace boat that was, I believe it was in Australia at the time, but they were gearing up to go back to France to start protesting the nuclear testing ah, wait, that France was about to start doing. Yeah, thank you. Dominique Prieur. So Greenpeace people were killed over nuclear testing, basically. Wow. I figured I would end on a sort of happy one. 2018. The first bison is born in Banff National Park, Alberta, Canada, in 140 years. I know. Cry. Cry. It's so beautiful. <laughs> the first bison is born in 140 in a years. Over a century? Yep. In Banff National Park. <laughs> I know. You're welcome. I thought you would like that. Baby, bison. Baby bisons. Baby. Yes. And beautiful. Yeah, I, I know. So that's on this day, Yay. concluded with the birth of a beautiful baby bison. One year ago today. One year ago today. Happy one year birthday. birthday. You sweet baby angel. You're probably very big now. It's probably a full grown bison. <laughs> oh, Christ. Oh, my oh. God. This has been a roller coaster. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're, um, we're punchy now. We're well. It's been emotional. So yeah. you know, are you excited about anything or just happy about life? <laughs> uh, uh, I I have one thing that it's it's very long since this has happened, but I just want to say that if anybody hasn't watched Pose yet, the first season is on oh, yeah. Netflix, and it is fucking great and I really am dying to watch season two and it's on Hulu but under a more premium subscription than mine so I can't watch it um, but it's such a great great show and I have a huge crush on India Moore now because they're like one of the most beautiful humans I've ever laid eyes on oh. and I'm like hello there you go they were one of the Grand Marshals of Pride this year. Apparently it was um, them and oh. MGA Rodriguez, who was also in the show. Oh, wow. And, and she's fantastic in the show. Um, Amazing. Yeah. It's, I love that. It has the the most um, like trans actors playing trans characters of any show ever. Yeah. And um, we may have talked about that. One of the actresses on the show, Angelica Ross, that's her name. Um, she just made history. Who made history? Angelica Ross. She's an actress on Pose. Or, yeah. And she just became the first uh, trans actor or actress mm. to uh, become a series regular on more than one show. Oh. Oh. Because she's going to be cool. in the new, um, I think it's American Horror Story. Yes. Oh, I read that. She's yeah. going to be in it. So is Duran, who went to SCAD with me. Oh, <laughs> he was, he's on Dear White People, and now he's going to be on this. Well, well, and I'm well. like, oh, hey, it's it's weird seeing the face of someone you know from school, like, all over the place. It makes me happy, but, like, it's just kind of surreal. Yes. Um. Anyway. I understand. But watch Pose, because yeah. it's fucking good. Anyway. Watch Pose. 
Watch Pose. I love Janet Mock, and she's one of the writers on that show. Fuck yes. Janet Mock was inspired by one of our recent GWBBs, Tracy Africa Tracy. Norman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go listen to that episode, too, because yep. Janet Mock loves her. There's a character that I feel like is very inspired by visually yeah. Tracy Norman. On that note. On that note, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Obviously, we have all sorts of goodies for you to go look at. Our social medias and our Patreon. Um, You know what all of those are. If you will listen to our outro, you'll hear Mm -hmm. everything. So just, you know, if you want to reach out, do that. Thank you for all your emails and uh, reaching out on social media. We, We really love hearing from you guys. It's very special and makes us feel good and like we're on the right track. And, you know, yeah. I, uh, I love that. So And by the by, I got complimented out of the blue for our pins, which are on my backpack. Did you? I have a bunch of pins on my backpack. And someone yesterday oh. said, oh, my God, I really love your Good Witch Bad Bitch pins. Well, guys, if you want your own Good Witch Bad Bitch pins. We have them for sale. And they're beautiful. Yep. They're on the website, gwbbpodcast.com. Um, so check that out. Kay. And in the meantime, we'll see you next next week. Peace out, witches. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. (laughs) Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us, you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. (laughs) Our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moonbounce. Moonbounce.